I believe that prayer changes reality. But sometimes, that's hard to muster. In our reading today, James tells us that Elijah was a human being, just like us. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three and a half years, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. The heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. And then I respond, well, good for Elijah. But what about me? What about us? I'm less interested in did the miracle happen than the question of does the miracle happen now, today. If God can answer the fervent prayer of one guy a long time ago, why doesn't God answer the incessant prayers of us millions around the world that are praying for an end to cancer? An end to the violence in the Middle East. The end of loneliness and pain and suffering. If one man can stop rain, why can't all of our prayers stop the madness? I have to believe that prayer changes reality. But usually not in the ways that I expect. Now as a child, I expected that in order to fix something, I would pray. I'd ask God to wave the magic wand possessed only by the deity in chief and presto changeo, it all be made right. And then I grew up. I started paying attention to the joys and concerns and the names that were mentioned. I started to notice that even though we prayed for Sally's back to be healed, it didn't. For some of my increasingly agnostic friends and youth group, This was just exhibit A on why praying to God is a giant waste of time. But my understanding of this prayer phenomenon began to pivot when I actually talked to Sally and asked her how she felt about all this prayer stuff. I feel great, she'd tell me. I feel great knowing that God's got my back through the love of this congregation. Now notice what she did not say. She did not say, well, I'm really disappointed because I was looking for a miraculous healing and it didn't happen. She didn't say anything about how many prayers or maybe if only another couple dozen people had prayed, then maybe something would have gotten sorted out. All she confessed is that she felt God's love in tangible ways through the people surrounding her in prayer and the pews around her. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. Later in life, I found myself a new pastor at a new church with a three-month-old that wouldn't sleep in a new place that wasn't our home. Quite frankly, very little has changed. We were exhausted. That also hasn't changed. But prayer was the last thing on our to-do list. And then I attended an officer's 
retreat that I co-led with a pastor down the road. She started talking about a change that they were seeing in their congregation. Karen noticed that their meetings often seemed contentious and anxious and certainly lacking any sense of spiritual leadership. So she asked that her elders try something a little bit different. That week, before session, she asked them to break into pairs. Hopefully it was someone that they weren't friends with or hadn't spoken to during that last week. And she asked them for one minute to pray for the other individual. And so they spent 30 seconds sharing their prayer concern, 30 seconds praying and then switching. 30 seconds sharing, 30 seconds praying. And Karen noticed that something remarkable happened at those meetings. Trust grew among the team. Conversations went deeper than the surface and explored spiritual depths that they had never accessed before. All because at the beginning of their meeting, they lifted up their voices on behalf of one another to God. At a presbytery meeting I attended a while back in Illinois, they found a way to do something like this, but in a different fashion. So often at presbytery meetings, there's a worship time, and then there's a business time. And you can probably guess how the business time usually goes. But this presbytery decided that instead of having a clear demarcation between the two, they would do things a little bit different. Presbytery started with a call to worship, and was followed by a report from the Committee on Ministry. It can often be kind of dry. After that came a time of confession and the assurance of pardon. And that was followed by the hellos to incoming pastors and the goodbyes to retiring pastors. And so it went, this weaving of worship and business. And attendees told me that this pattern of bringing worship into their business time and to be honest, worship is a form of prayer. But this had made a huge difference in de-escalating tensions for helping this to be a non-anxious gathering. Prayer, woven into the fabric of even a presbytery meeting or a session meeting, helps to change those meetings' reality. See, I'm convinced that prayer changes reality, but I'm not 100% certain how. Psychologists have known for a long time that simply taking a moment to breathe helps to lower our cortisol levels and helps us to access the prefrontal cortex, in other words, to actually think. There are books like Conversational Intelligence by Judith Glazer that like to point to the developing neuroscience on these topics, pointing out that trust building in the boardroom also allows for greater use of the prefrontal cortex. In other words, when we're not angry at one another at a meeting, we can actually access the rational part of our brains. Who would have thought? My theory is that prayer contributes to that in significant ways, particularly by building trust. I think that when we pray, we develop trust with one another. And more importantly, I believe that it helps our brain to 
reduce those cortisol levels, to escape from the prison of stress, and to dwell in the depths of the mystery of God. Prayer changes reality, because when we learn how to trust one another, we learn how to trust God. Now the opposite is also true. When we shroud our relationships in mistrust, it's difficult to catch a glimpse of the God above through the darkness of our skepticism. But when we illuminate those horizontal relationships, the vertical one seems to shine most brightly. Now, if you don't believe that prayer can change reality, consider the curious case of Speaker John Boehner. Robert Costa of the Washington Post writes that it was late Thursday at the Capitol. The crowds had gone. Outside the Speaker's suite, the halls were empty and silent, save for a police officer strolling through the rotunda. And on the marble floor were pieces of masking tape with the names of elected officials, scrawled in black, marking the places where they stood to greet Pope Francis. Costa waited until the speaker emerged, and then something very strange happened. Instead of rushing past him and the other reporter, ignoring questions, Speaker Boehner took Costa and had him stand on the spot where he had met Pope Francis. He used Costa as a body double for the Pope and told the story of meeting His Holiness. Costa reports the speaker saying, so, so the Pope puts his arm around my left arm, he said as he pulled my arm up to his shoulder. Boehner is now fully committed to acting this out. Hold on, hold on, he said as I pulled my arm away. Let me finish. The Pope says to me, please pray for me. Please pray for me, Boehner repeated as he dipped his head. He said, please pray for me. He stood there for ten more seconds, not saying a word, his hands at his sides. Then he turned sharply towards his security detail, the now open doors, and a shimmering sunset on Capitol Hill. And you and I know the rest of the story. The next morning, John Boehner resigned as Speaker of the House. In his resignation speech, he recounted the meeting and said, Last night, I started thinking about this, and this morning, I woke up and I said my prayers, as I always do, and I decided today's the day I'm going to do this. It was as simple as that. Now, regardless of what you think of the man, it's hard to deny that some kind of reality-changing event happened with that little prayer that the Pope asked for. And with that prayer, we now have a massive change of political realities on our hands. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. 
the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. Last week, Ann Michael, who is the associate director of the Lewis Center for Church Leadership, just down the road here at Wesley Seminary, wrote a piece about taking prayer to the community. This piece reminded me that prayer doesn't just change realities on Capitol Hills. It can actually change your reality in your home, in our schools, in our workplaces. In this piece, she quotes a Pew Research study which found that the nuns, who are those Americans who mark no affiliation under the religious affiliation part of their demographic surveys, that among this group, 27% claim to pray daily. 27% of those who have just given up on organized religion. Another 2012 survey found that 19% of this group find prayer a spiritually meaningful practice. And Nancy Ammerman, who's a sociologist of religion, found that many people who are disconnected from traditional religious communities still pray regularly. She concludes that prayer is a core element in the human experience of religion. Now these studies lead me to conclude that not only does prayer change reality, but that you and I can change reality by using proselytizing prayers. I know I saw a few of you squirm when I use that word. You're thinking about your corner evangelist. Come to Jesus or you're going to burn. But Presbyterians have never been very good at that style. It probably was never a good style to begin with. So let's think about other ways in light of what we've just learned. Dr. Michael suggests that the first, most powerful evangelistic question of our day is not, have you been saved? Or, will you attend church with me? But simply, may I pray with you? May I pray with you? I believe with Dr. Michael that prayer is the last acceptable form of public evangelism. We tried the ways of fire and brimstone, tried to get them to church in order to save their souls, but that doesn't work anymore. The non-dominational church, seeing that that wasn't working, tried to, well, let's get them to church, the invitational model. We can just get them to this place on Sunday morning, to the greatest show on earth, then maybe we can emotionally get them to a place where they come to Jesus. But even they are now claiming that that doesn't work either. So the last, and probably always historically the best option, is intercession and supplication and asking those you meet especially those who share with you moments or pieces of their life. May I pray with you? Now, unlike 
traditional proselytizing, we know for a fact that this brings forth physical benefits as well. In addition to cortisol being lowered and telling folks that they could be more productive at work if they just stopped and prayed with you for a moment, we also know that it helps increase focus, lowers levels of depression, and does wonders for kids in school. It's often connected with mindfulness, something you can learn about if you start coming to our Wednesday night focus series in the next few weeks. You can hear more about the, the biological realities of this phenomena. But can you imagine what this metro D.C. area would look like if this week every person of faith had one one-minute conversation with someone else and they prayed with them? One minute. Now, I don't have the entire population of D.C. in this sanctuary. We've got what we've got. We've got you and me and each other. And so I invite you to look across the pews. That way or this way or in front of you or behind you. Find someone who will keep you accountable and ask them to ask you whether you've prayed with someone this week. Make this the week where even if all of D.C. can't be changed, that the areas that you and I interact with, our social networks and our places of work, are changed by a 30-second conversation. Our Presbyterian Book of Order has this to say about the reality-changing practice. It says that prayer is at the heart of worship. And prayer, through the Holy Spirit, people seek after and are found by the one true God who has been revealed in Jesus Christ. They listen and wait upon God, call God by name, remember God's gracious acts, and offer themselves to God. Prayer may be spoken, sung, offered in silence, or enacted. Prayer grows out of the center of a person's life in response to the Spirit. Prayer is shaped by the Word of God in Scripture and by the life of the community of faith. And prayer issues in commitment to join God's work in the world. My friends in Christ, do we have one minute to change the world? May you be found in prayer this week. May you find somebody to keep you accountable for doing it. And may you find that your prayers change reality. That reconciliation becomes possible. That lives are transformed. That hope is found. May you proselytize through prayer this week. And as you do, remember that the one who sits at the right hand of the Father prays for you and will never leave you alone. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.